ever wondered what education might look like in a non-traditional college? In this episode, we're speaking with Jonathan Brush, CEO of Unbound, a project-based approach to higher education. Jonathan is a homeschool graduate, homeschool dad of six, and a former public college administrator. He has some concerns with the modern higher education culture. Can we be doing better? Can we give ambitious young adults an education that prepares them to succeed in any walk of life? That's where Jonathan's organization comes in. Well, we are delighted to have all of you with us today on the State of Education podcast and especially delighted to have our guest today, Jonathan Brush. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Looking forward to it. Well, we are as well. So a lot of times we start off with just asking you to share about yourself uh, and kind of help our audience to know who they're listening to and kind of perspective on where you're coming from. So tell us about your background and and then maybe you can just kind of weed that into the genesis of and the and your leadership with Unbound. Sure. Be delighted to do so. Well, this is an education podcast, so I'll do a little bit of an education background here. Um, I was homeschooled uh, and so graduated as a homeschooled student. I went to uh, kindergarten and first grade, and I was homeschooled back in the day when that was a really unusual thing to do. Um, I still kind of, the older I get, the more surprised I am that my mother did that. My parents together, but obviously mom was the driving force there and um, had a really great experience doing that. But through the whole thing, it was like everything was new. Uh, so my mom actually helped write the admissions policies for the college that I attended. And uh, so I attended a, a private selective liberal arts college. I had a really great experience there. I was the first homeschool student they admitted. Um, the second one that they admitted graduated with a 4.0. and was also tremendously beautiful. So I did the only logical thing and I married her as soon as I graduated. And so as far as I was concerned, college was a smashing success. Uh, that meant that I was in really great shape. I graduated with honors from a college I was had a, a wedding date scheduled, but I was lacking a few important things like a job and a place to live. And so the uh, college said, hey, would you like to be an admissions counselor? And I said, I don't have any idea what an admissions counselor is, but does it have a salary attached to it? And they said, yes. And I said, I'd be delighted to be an admissions counselor. That sounds like a lot of fun. And I had worked giving tours for the admissions office when I worked there. And so I had some connections to them. And so um, I did that for a year. Uh, the next year, they said, would you like to be the assistant director of admissions? I thought, well, that sounds pretty spiffy. And uh, the third year, I got called into the president's office, and he said, I'd like to make you uh, the youngest admissions director of admissions in the state of Virginia. And I thought, that sounds both terrifying and also the kind of thing that if you turn down, you don't get more opportunities. <laughs> and so um, I had a really phenomenal experience, both as a student at the college and then working for the college. But through that process, I loved my college, and I loved the people that I was working with and my team and everything like that. But I started to have really big concerns and questions about higher education writ large. And uh, so at some point, I came home. Um, at that point, I had uh, four children, and my oldest uh, opened the door, and I looked at her, and I thought, I really don't want her to go to the college where I'm working. And I thought, well, that's a that's a ethical crisis because it's not that you have to go to the college where your dad works, but if I wouldn't put my own kid there, then I obviously cannot get paid to ask other people to send their children there. And so that sent me on a bit of a journey. I went to work for a non-traditional higher education company called College Plus. Um, and then through the years, uh, that morphed into what became Unbound. And then July of 2020, I actually had the opportunity to acquire Unbound. Uh, there was a business transfer. And so another company bought a good chunk of the company. 
and the consumer part of the company was available. And uh, so we reformed a new uh, board and new company and relaunched uh, something that had been a continuation. So in some sense, it's weird. We're, we're a bit of a startup that's been around for a while. Um, and so now we do non-traditional higher education. So I went from non-traditional elementary and secondary education, uh, traditional higher education, worked in traditional higher education, uh, now I've moved into non-traditional higher education. Um, I have uh, six children, two foster children, and um, so they've been homeschooled. Three of them have now graduated, and uh, it has been a, a fun thing to watch some of my work life intersect with my personal life as some of my children work for me and with the company. Uh, many of them have, well, so far, all of them have, have uh, participated in the program itself. And so I've seen it from both a father's perspective as well as an administrator's perspective. And uh, it has been the most fun thing I've ever done. Uh, working with the students and Unbound and doing what we do has absolutely been um, educational and challenging and all those kinds of things, but mostly a delight. Um, and just something that I wake up every morning, kind of pinch myself and go, wow, thank you, Lord, for bringing me here. So that's the uninteresting, but but kind of maybe relevant background if we're talking about education. Well, I think that was interesting. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And so, you know, you, you start out with the kind of the traditional model uh, of, you know, outside of the homeschool, which was certainly not traditional when you were a kid, right. uh, much more popular. It's fastest growing genre of education today uh, in America. Uh, but um, now, with with all of your background there and shifting from a traditional collegiate uh, experience and uh, promotion to the non-traditional, what is your philosophy of education? Let's kind of start there. Yeah. So first of all, I think a philosophy has to be about what you're for. And so I'm going to start with a bit of a contrast against what I'm against, but that's in preparation for the positive side of things. I, I'm not too excited about people that are only against things. Yeah. Um, I think that if you're going to have some energy, you have to be for something. Um, but I'll tell you what kind of made me pause and go, wait a second, I have to think about this. And that was, you know, the cost was what initially just got my attention, right? In traditional higher education, I started to think, I'm not so sure that this ROI pays out, right? Um, the amount of debt you're taking for the results that you're getting don't make sense. So that was the initial kind of like, wait a second, what's going on here? Uh, the second was that I watched only, and this was a, I know this is going back in ancient history, maybe for some of your listeners, but but in the 2000 presidential election, I watched my own campus go from almost non-political or apolitical across the board. I, I mean, it was, it was just people that were really into politics were just very unusual, both as students and faculty, um, to becoming highly partisan overnight. Hmm. And and really with just one perspective. And so from just an educational perspective, I started to think, well, there's a real strange difference between the majority of people teaching think one thing, the majority of people coming in think another thing. And there's a clash there that's not being managed very well. It was, but it's not anymore because now there's all these extra emotions playing into it. Um, and then that led me to the final piece, which was something is odd here. Colleges were designed to be idea places. They were designed to be these, these um, you know, Jefferson called them the academical village, right, where people came together and exchanged ideas. I was really bought into that. But colleges weren't that. Colleges were actually um, vocation preparation centers. And people were going to college for a period of extended adolescence. This is, you know, I worked really hard in high school. This is my chance to party before I have to go in the real world and sit in a cubicle for the rest of my life. Um, or they became these kind of, you know, I'm going here to get the extra, the magic, get a job card. And my observation was that neither of those things made a lot of sense. It was a very expensive party as well as not, I didn't think it was very good developmentally. 
Um, and also, they were really ill-equipped to be vocational training centers. Um, colleges were really good at doing the academic stuff, but I started to look more and more around and go, I don't think this idea that everybody has to have a college degree in order to be an effective person makes sense. I think education should be more about preparing for life, and then specific kinds of education should prepare one deeply academically. Now, I'm a huge fan of academics, and I'm a huge fan of people who need academic training, and I'm a fan of, I think colleges and traditional colleges do an extraordinary job of teaching that. But what was frustrating me was I watched the college that I worked for not be able to do what they were really good at because they were swamped with people who were there for the party or there for the job. And, and so all those things started to come together. And so out of it came this philosophy that, um, you know, what we do in education ought to be towards the design of preparing one to live a better life. And then of course that begs the question, what does a better life look like? And from my Christian worldview, I would say, well, a better life is one that helps you uh, follow the one who made you, uh, that is based on relationship and is designed to help you serve better. And so that can take place in a lot of different ways. Uh, but it's interesting to think about if that was the thing that you were saying was the highest ideal. And then perhaps the second uh, for Unbound now, now, now I'll make a distinction here. For Unbound, the second would be, and to prepare you practically for a job, then all of a sudden it changes the kind of educational process that you're going through. Now, that second one is important because that is in contrast to academic training. And it is not to belittle academic training. It's instead to elevate it, to say that that preparing specifically for a certain set of jobs looks very different than preparing to be really academically in depth. And the colleges are actually quite good at training people to be academically in depth. And people who need that ought to go to colleges. But there's a large swath of people who don't actually need that. They need general academics, enough knowledge to be able to run the republic. But they don't need that really deep academic training that colleges are good at but they can't now because they're deluded with people who aren't there for those reasons. Uh, so a bit of a long answer. I apologize. But if that kind of frames up where I came from and how I got to where I am now. Before we return to Melvin, we wanted to take a brief moment to tell you about our other podcast, the NWEF Blogcast. In a day when education is threatened by politics and agendas, finding support for common sense and traditional values can be difficult. Our writing team at Noah Webster Educational Foundation aims to provide quality reading for parents, grandparents, educators, and school board members, anyone who wants to learn about the foundational principles of education. But did you know that you can listen to our blog on the go? Head over to www.nwef.org to access dozens of audio articles or search for NWEF Blogcast wherever you get your podcasts. And now back to the state of education with Melvin Adams. So what I'm hearing you say is that your philosophy of education really boils down to that you're for a strong academic focus, but at the end of the day, uh, the customer, the student, uh, should be prepared for life uh, and their future and not just holding credentials or meeting certain community standards that's classified as education. Uh, more important that they actually gain uh, workable skills. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, maybe some slight nuance in that. I was influenced greatly by the president that I worked for, a man by the name of Phil Stone. And he would start every open house. And so for years as director of missions, I heard him say this. He would say, 
the Germans were the most educated and credentialed people on the face of the planet in the 1930s. And then he would pause and he would just let that implication sink in. And then he would say, it has to be more than just education. It has to be more than just a credential. But what was equally interesting to me was that the college was highly opposed to that idea. In other words, the president was saying we ought to be doing something more. And the college would say that the professors and the faculty said that is not why I'm here. And so I would say, yes, all education, both academic and, and perhaps more practical, should be at, at preparing students for life. Um, but then I make a little bit of a fork in the road. Um, I think there are some students who are academically gifted, who are the kinds of people who are going to be our next judges and attorneys and all those kinds of things. And I want them to have the richest, deepest, most intense academic training possible. And I think that that probably happens best at really good college campuses. Um, but there's a large swath of people, a majority, I would argue, who need to go into, and I don't say practical to demean the others. I just say more practical, almost hands-on type of things. And there's this illusion out here that in a knowledge economy, that means that they must have more academic credentials. I actually think that there's something different going on here. I think that they need more practical skills, most of which is posited around asking questions and being able to problem solve versus just having a lot of academic knowledge, which is more of an answers-based paradigm. And so this is a, a bit of a, you know, choose the path that makes the most sense for you. It's not that I think colleges are bad or a poor choice. I just think that they should be a more limited choice for people who can best benefit from them. Um, and that, that there's different options that maybe work better for others. Um, and just being able to ask that question can often free up students to say, oh, this makes a little more sense. And then to follow the place that makes, you know, leads them to the best outcome. Okay. You kind of started into this a little bit, but I'd like to dig a little deeper. Uh, as an organization, Unbound, my understanding is it's a private for-profit business. Correct. Uh, you are also unashamedly and distinctly Christian. That's also correct. Why is that important? Well, there's a, there's a lot of answers to that, but I'll start with this. I have worked for several organizations who said they were Christian, but didn't actually follow through with that. And then we're happy to sell that away in service to the culture. And so when I had an opportunity to acquire Unbound, I actually told the board as we formed it, I said, um, I want kill switches in this thing. I would rather that we go out of business than we lose our Christian connection. And when I say connection, that's not, doesn't do it justice. Uh, we, we state, and you can go to our website and find this in writing, that we have three priorities. The first priority is to build the kingdom of God. Uh, the second is actually to serve the people who work for us. And the third is to serve our students. Now, the, the, the kind of trick question that is that we cannot serve the people who work for us unless we serve our students. But both of those have to be subservient to building the kingdom of God. And, and there's a statement of faith and belief in there that spells that out. Now, um, because of the nature of Unbound, I do not require all of our students to subscribe to that statement. You do not have to believe certain things to be a student in Unbound. What you must do is acknowledge that we believe certain things. And so I tell people, you can come in and argue vehemently with us. You can have a different perspective. We will welcome that conversation. Uh, I just don't have any patience if you come in offended that we believe the things that we do. <laughs> you, know, you can try to change your mind if you'd like. Um, now, that's different for the folks who work for us. Um, if you work for us, we expect you to understand that we teach and, and, and we do everything from a biblical worldview perspective. And if you can't get on board with that, you won't be effective in being able to help us achieve our goals. Um, so that part is, is clear. And 
Uh, now, that's the kind of personal background, but I think there's a practical background here too, here as well. I simply do not believe that one can run an educational institution without clearly understanding what you believe and, and subscribing to that. There, now, I would make an argument, you maybe can't do that at all in life, but you certainly can't do it in education. Education is never worldview neutral. And so I feel like it's, it's uh, important to be honest with our students and with the people that come into the program and say, you're all welcome here, but I am teaching this from a particular perspective because I think it is the perspective that best reflects reality. And, mm -hmm. you know, you can argue with me about that. You can have a different opinion. That's fine. But you have to understand that, that we will unapologetically be biased in that direction. I don't think you can be unbiased in education. You have some bias, and we're attempting to be extra honest by admitting ours up front. You know, some people would argue with you on that and say, well, then that's not a proper approach to classic, classical education or liberal education or et cetera, et cetera. But I guess I would commend you for having a position there because the reality is, uh, you, you basically stated this. The reality is you, there is no worldview neutral education because at its foundation, education is a communication of values, a communication of philosophy. And it's all about transferring ideas and communicating those things. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, of course, the liberal university and you get, you know, all the different diversity and all those kind of things. And there's some can be some merit in hearing different ideas. But fundamentally, the customer, uh, you know, it's kind of like if you're going to go buy a car, um, you want to know the name brand and what that name brand represents and their values and what you can count on with that particular model or that particular brand. It, it's known for certain things, certain values, certain characteristics. And, and I think when you go in understanding that now you are in choosing and you're purchasing with, with understanding and, and having an informed decision on, okay, I, I'm going to acquire that on purpose because I think that's going to serve me well. Uh, wherein many times you go, we send kids off to college or the university and we have no idea what they're going to hit there. And so often, uh, parents especially, uh, end up very disappointed. And so oftentimes kids come out of there completely confused and really kind of to sometimes lose their way, uh, in, in, a in, in the world. And it's just like, you know, there is no truth anymore. Uh, but fundamentally, uh, you know, the basis of seeking edu of education is to discover reality, to discover truth. And that's the end game is to build those foundational blocks, get those things under me that can help me. Uh, and, and I'm confident in these things rather than just pull the rug out from underneath me. So, um, you know, our audience can judge uh, for themselves what they think, but I, I'm as as an educator myself, I think it's important for us to be intellectually honest 
about what we believe, what we follow, what we're promoting. And, uh, and I think that's the right way to approach our customer. And I would add that in, honest, but also unafraid. And I think those two things have to go together. And I think sometimes there are those who are honest, but afraid. And that leads to a very different educational outcome. Um, first of all, I think the way humans are designed and designed obviously comes, that word comes from my Christian worldview, uh, that they are designed to look up to something. And so if you are not clear about what that is, you are inviting inevitable ideological chaos. And I see no examples where this has not been the case. And so any institution that proclaims that they don't have a particular ideology invites ideological chaos that inevitably leads to a certain ideology. True. And so therefore, I don't think there's a neutral ground to be in. But I do think there's a significant difference between being honest about that and also being unafraid. So in Unbound, we call this a questions-based paradigm. Now, there's actually a couple reasons we do this, and some of it is very practical. But on the, on the sort of ideological scale, uh, here's where I come in at the approach that we take. Um, I am unafraid of questions. I'm, I'm unafraid of people who have differing opinions. Um, and I think that, that being afraid of those things is a recipe for complete disaster. We do not have the luxury of living in a world where our students will not be exposed to every crazy ideological point of the spectrum. And, and, and there will be compelling arguments for them because the Internet allows that. And so to pretend otherwise is just to ignore reality. And so we're going to have all these kind of ideas running around. And I tell our students, look, here's the way I look at these, this. I follow an infinite God who says his ways are beyond my ways. Consequently, it appears to me that for all of eternity, I'm not going to be able to fully figure out the God I follow. But physicists tell me they don't fully understand gravity either. So they, it, it behooves them in order to kind of further science to continue to ask questions about what gravity is and how it works. But it doesn't prevent them from designing rockets that take into account gravity as a major factor. So I tell my students, here are truths that have been laid out before us. Uh, they're as solid as gravity in the sense that you can live your life by them. But they're also open to continuing questioning uh, that will lead to a deeper truth. And people say, well, that sounds relativistic or postmodern. It does in some sense, but the difference is the direction you're going and the goal you're seeking. The postmodernist relativist asks questions with the a priori assumption that they are going to lead to nihilism, that it's going to lead to nothing. And so they're asking questions deliberately to get themselves to justify this idea there's no such thing as absolute truth. Uh, I encourage our students, and I think Christians are called to, and this is certainly not an idea that's anyone original to me. I think this is a very Christian idea, right? This is just a, a way of stating it, uh, that we ask questions as well, but we ask questions in an attempt to learn the truth. Right. And that as we learn more and more of the truth, we will find ourselves standing in a place to ask a better question that will teach us more and more of the truth. Now, that means, like gravity, there's some things that we can build our lives on and say, these things are true, and we can actually structure our lives around them. But we also, if we stop and say, and now I fully understand it, that's cult territory. That's where things get weird. That's where religions get internal and, and pharisaical and all those kinds of things. Um, so instead, I think there's this idea that, yeah, we, we are unafraid to say, I don't fully understand that. That's something we should continue to ask questions about. That doesn't mean that we have some things that are solid enough that we can live by. But it also means that we're humble. We're continually in this attitude of leaning forward and asking questions. And I kind of think that persists for eternity. <laughs> like like mm -hmm. that, that is going to be a continual process even post this life. This episode of The State of Education with Melvin Adams was made possible 
by the generous support of donors like you. Here at the Noah Webster Educational Foundation, we want to make it easier for you to engage with your local government and school system, whether you're a parent, educator, legislator, or simply a concerned citizen. Before we end today's episode, here's a snippet of our next episode. And so whatever class it is you're struggling with, worry less about the content and mastering it, although often the content's important, so I'm not belittling that, but understand that the thing that you're looking for, the transferable skill, is the process by which you learn the content. Because people who can quickly and effectively master complicated information are people that are well adapted for a world where the information is constantly flowing, technology constantly disrupts, and problem solving is a constant need in every industry. Curious how you can make a difference? Learn about more ways you can help by visiting our website at www.nwef.org. We'll see you next time on The State of Education with Melvin Adams.